Good morning, good evening, good night, wherever, however, and whenever you're listening. Welcome to another episode of The Melanin Report. I'm your host, Marquis Lufton, and we have another jam-packed show for you today. It's Wednesday, so you know we have a great interview lined up. Today, we have none other than Shelby Warmly, a.k.a. Shelby Elaine, who is a former videographer from ABT27, and after... Hanging up her broadcasting camera, she chose to dive headfirst into the world of entrepreneurialism. I cannot wait to talk about her business, We Encode, that she launched with her husband, Jordan, which is a multimedia production company. And this visual artist, photographer, videographer, and storyteller currently has an exhibit, The Shop Presents Essentials in Our Vault Gallery, currently at the Susquehanna Art Museum, which explores the importance of barbershops and beauty salons in black and brown communities. I feel like I am introducing our guest pastor today. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, without further ado, let's welcome Shelby Warmly, a.k.a. Shelby Elaine, to the Melanin Report. How you doing? Thank you. Thank you for that. No problem. No problem. I, I, I mean, hey, look, I'm just reading the statistics um, on the back of your basketball card because, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, take us take us to the beginning of of your journey. I, I mean, this is this is a lot here, you know. So when was that camera first put in your hand? So the first time a camera was ever put in my hand was on my 12th birthday. It was a Polaroid camera, mm-hmm. actually, uh, the little the zippy kind. Okay. Um, my, my mom got it for my, for yeah, my 12th birthday. I remember I had a sleepover, and that was one of the presents that I got. And now that I think of it, I don't, I don't even know. I can't even remember if I actually asked for it. Mm. But my mom also... She likes to say, you know, we we come from a family of storytellers. Okay. We, you know, share stories at the kitchen table just mm. like a meal. And so my mom has always had a love for story and she loved collecting photographs. She wasn't she wasn't a photographer, but mm-hmm. you know, she she val- she understood the value of capturing memories. Okay. So when I was uh when I was 12, she she gave me that and I just would take pictures of my friends, mm-hmm. family members around the house, and then that later evolved into um me wanting a video camera after uh, watching Rocket Power, and I'm like, I want to be like that girl. She's so cool. She's she's riding around on the skateboard. Um, it would be years later until I got the skateboard. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my mom ended up. I begged her. I begged her. And in seventh grade, she got me a video camera, and I would just record again family family uh, moments. And um, fast forward to high school, I. I got into photography, uh, mm-hmm. darkroom photography, actually. And then, yeah, in college, I pursued mass communications. I, I kind of, it just it just made sense. It made sense that the path was leading to visual, mm-hmm. you know, visual communications, visual things that are visual, tangible. And um, so I've just always had this passion for videography and photography. But photography is my first love, like it's my first love. Now you mentioned uh, dark room photography, so that's that's another old school tactic, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, how how does dark room photography d- differ from um, the photography that we're used to today? Oh, it's so different from the process mm-hmm. um, to just the the entire process is different. Yeah, 
I miss it. Like if I could still, if I still had access to a dark room, I would do it. Mm -hmm. But also you have to think, you know, back in high school when I was between like 15, 17, when I was doing dark room, and I did it in college too, actually. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, it's a process. You, you shoot your film, you shoot your photo, you don't get to see what it is. Mm -hmm. And then you develop your film, which is an entire process in itself. You're dealing with chemicals. It's really is a science to it. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, I I felt like a whole little scientist in there. (laughs) I really did. Um, and it was cool. Like I would dodge and burn using a little tool versus like on Photoshop, you just click a couple buttons to Mm -hmm. be able to dodge and burn things like that. But back then, I say it like this was like forever. I mean, it was it was it was a minute ago, but mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, dark room photography has been around for generations at that point. But um, it was just a different process, and it was to me, it was such a, a it was very special. Mm-hmm. You were you had to be present, and it's something about saying I made this completely. You you snap the photo, you develop the film, you process it through the different chemicals, yeah. you print it. Um, and so when we think of like now, everything's very instant. Mm. So as much as I'd love to say, oh, I wish I still had a dark room, I don't have the time anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't like it's. It, I could be in there for hours, and yeah. I could lose myself for hours. But it was, it was so, it was so holy to me, honestly. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's it's yes, it's different now. <laughs> so then, in a um dark room, you can you can do some of the things like I'm I'm. Asking this out of complete ignorance. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so you can do some of the thing, some of the same things in a dark room that you can do on Photoshop. Some. So mm-hmm. like, um, because it, it's really it's light manipulation too. Okay. Right? So let's say there's an image. Uh, you have this image, and let's say you want to one section of the photo is too bright. Mm-hmm or something like that. There's this little tool that you would just put under the light mm-hmm. that would block the light from coming so it would expose less light to it so it would it would keep you could you could kind of play around with how much oh, wow. Yeah, like I remember I had a photograph once where the man's um it was a lot of shadow. So you couldn't see his eye, right? So mm-hmm. I take a dodge like this dodge and burn this tool and I would just put it over the uh which the enlarger is what <laughs> is what it's called mm-hmm. when, you, when you look through. I put it over the enlarger so I was able to brighten brighten up in his eyes. Wow. Versus on Photoshop you may take your um you know, you take this tool where you highlight the area and you literally can go over to the brightness level and just mm-hmm. adjust it that way. So is the process is you know, they digitize that process essentially. Yeah. Um, way more time, uh, and then when you do that with darkroom, it was very much a hit or miss. So I could oh. do it and be like, "Oh, it's too light." Now I got to do this all, all over, over again. again. Wow. So wow. Okay. Those, those were the days. Oh you know, back man. In the day. <laughs> see, see, I thought, I thought. <laughs> now this is just speaking to my ignorance. Um, America's probably going to be thinking like Marquise is stupid, uh, but. My my thought was with a dark room was like you took your picture, you know, you put it in the solution and then you hung it up. And then that's just what it was like. There wasn't no tools. There wasn't no ma- manipulation or anything like that. I thought it was like that the, the chemicals that you put it in would help bring that burned image, so to speak, quote unquote, that burned image to the forefront. But apparently it's a lot more than that. 
Yeah. All right. All right. Well, then, I was today years old. Uh, so so thank you for <laughs> and that. And it's not just one thing, the solution. It's actually mm. like three. Really? See? And if you're doing color in black and white, well, mm-hmm. so they really don't do color anymore. But, you know, all that's coming back now. Not, well, it's been back, but um, which I love. But, oh, wow. Yeah, it's a process. And it's a beautiful process. I you should try it. Uh, well, well, I I will tell you this, Shelby. I probably won't. <laughs> but, but, yeah. but, um, but my oldest loves taking um, photos. Uh, so that is something that I will definitely introduce to her. Um, mm-hmm. Because knowing knowing the older nuances, you know, will only help you, as you know, uh, with uh, future nuances in mm-hmm. said industry. So uh, for for we and co. Um, your company that you, that you started with your husband Jordan. Uh, can you tell us what uh, We and Co means? What it stands for? How'd you come up with that name, We and Co? So we, Jordan and I, we knew that we wanted to create something together. We wanted to fuse fuse both of our passions. At the time that I was doing my own photography for years, just under my own name, and Jordan had this vision um, for. It was called IEE Media, which stood for um, Inspiration. I guess he's gonna he's gonna get on me for this. <laughs> it was, it's like Inspiration, Education, uh, uh, and um, I'm not sure. I'm sorry, honey. I'm sorry. <laughs> but Jordan, get her. <laughs> yeah, get her, Jordan. We, we took we took what it's the these values essentially the mm-hmm. idea of. Um, what we wanted, combining story and being able to help people through, whether it's through educational means um, or just inspiring people. Mm-hmm. And we came up with We and Company. And I like to shout out my um, former coworker, Andrew Forgotch, because he actually, he was like, what about like We Enterprise or something? And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> you own something. I don't know about Enterprise. But like, um, so the more we played around with the name, it was like We Media, We This, or, or W-E. And um, we landed on We and Company because at the core, you know, we didn't want this to seem like super corporate right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're very family-oriented people. And so the W in We and Company stands for Wormley, mm-hmm. which represents Jordan's side of the family. Yeah. It represents um, his, his family name. And then the E stands for Elaine, which mm. is my middle name, as well as my grandmother's middle name. And I convinced my my big brother to name my niece, uh, my, her middle <laughs> name, Elaine. <laughs> so it's it's a family name. Yeah. And so together, that makes we. Mm-hmm. And we wanted it to be representative of both of who we are because we were coming together in ideas and vision and in life and in partnership. And once we got married, you know, two became one. Right. So that's how we got the we and the and company is you and everyone we get to work with. Mm. Well, uh, you all are very smart because if you would reverse that, you know, ew and company, <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't just just doesn't come off the tongue just right. We and Co. I I love that, um, and and have loved the work that you all do. So, um, how is it being? being black storytellers uh, in a majority white area? Hmm. It is, I mean, ultimately what we do, at the, at the core of what we do is story mm. and is legacy and is um, really us finding ways where we all really connect, which is through story. Yeah. And 
seeing how being surrounded in a community where those stories aren't always necessarily reflected mm. uh, really inspired us to want to capture those, you know, those unheard stories are the stories that um, might have like a 10 second spot, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, well, let's not, we ain't going to get into that. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, just being in, in, in an environment where you don't necessarily see your stories told mm. or reflected or um, accurately anyway or it not being from like this white gaze or white lens yeah um we wanted to fill be to fill in that gap because mm-hmm. we we didn't really see it in our community yeah and and not not seeing it in our community um and and then working for a television station like yourself you kind of see where the issue comes in at um especially with the style of reporting or the underreporting of of certain things mm-hmm. um, because the station that I worked at in Jersey uh, they were quick so quick to cover a shooting a fire some kind of calamity especially if it was a, a black male involved mm-hmm. you know there were some great stories that I was pulled off of to cover that kind of stuff um, and you typically see that in in areas where um, the racial breakdown is is just uh, disproportionately one mm-hmm. side. Um, so, do you um, see yourself finding clients uh, that want their stories told more authentically because you look like them, um, or you haven't experienced that just yet? Oh, no, of course. I mm. mean, when the people that we've been able to work with yeah. when they when we show up and first off so our names are Jordan and Shelby so <laughs> you know <laughs> um and, and <laughs> you hear us so <laughs> sometimes showing up they don't expect to see a black couple yeah and especially I've I, we've showed up so many times where people are like oh <laughs> I didn't okay oh well hey then like you know yeah I, I didn't know you guys are a black couple I feel so much better now I feel way more comfortable um sharing this part of me wow. you know it, it is it truly does it does make a difference yeah and I think when when we decided to take this step to really go all in with we and co um, I don't think we understood the magnitude mm. so it was very overwhelming in the beginning it it was overwhelming, but it also was very validating because it's like, no, this is a space yeah. that um, needs to be filled. And there is that want and that need there. And when you ha- and it's not and when you have someone who not just looks like you, but that can relate. Like I've had a lot of people, um, you know, if you're sharing a story around loss, mm. if you're sharing a short story around, you know, whatever your family legacy and stuff might be. um, you know, we can we can meet there. There's still some common ground. Yeah. Or I know that um like for example, we talk about news and how stories were covered before. Um I very I remember very specifically while working at a we're working at a station, um, the way this young man's story was handled who was murdered very brutally and publicly. Mm-hmm. Um um it was like a it was bad. It was like a kidnapping. It was it was pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like how our state the station at the time had handled the mm-hmm. story and I felt like it lacked a lot of empathy and dignity um and humanity quite frankly. Yeah. And I remember that being one of the reasons why I was like, yeah, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I I can no longer set aside while y'all justify 
telling the story in this certain way because you would it would not have been reported if 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 the tables were turned. Right. Um, so we we run into that a lot, um, but ultimately, being able to show up to a fam a family or a customer or client coming and say, hey, you know, what? I feel so much more comfortable. You guys feel like you're a part of the family. Like mm. you don't just find that anywhere. Right. Right. Oh man, that's powerful. That is that, that is powerful. So um, so you also uh, do storytelling in a different form as well. Uh, right now, you have a exhibit. Uh, the shop presents essentials in our vault gallery, uh, which is currently at the Susquehanna Art Museum. Um, now, prior to that, it was at other locations as well. So can you tell us uh, what other locations this exhibit has been at? Um, and then can you tell us what uh, what encompasses the exhibit and what's in it? Yeah, sure. So I'd like to say... Um, this opportunity uh, was presented back in 2021, where I, w- I was selected to be the, uh, w- it's a very long name, so <laughs> I was selected to be an artisan residence through Franklin and Marshall's um, program through the Center for Sustained Engagement mm-hmm. of Lancaster, uh, formerly anyway. And I was able to be on FNM's campus for a good good, good amount of months um, just gathering stories. So. Through the residency, it was all, the big role in it was to engage the community, engage students, um, and to tell a story. So when I was doing my, when I did my proposal for this opportunity, I'm like, well, what story needs to be told in this community, or what's missing, or mm. what's pivotal to this time? And there was a lot of conversations around the businesses that shut down. And after speaking with a lot of family and friends, I'm like, hey, I was thinking about doing a story about barbershops, beauty salons. And I just got a lot of really great feedback from mm-hmm. that. It was a great idea. Yeah. It, and the funny thing, it was between that and or corner stores. Oh, wow. That that would have been another good, yeah, good one was, as well. I, I was like, because they're both, you know, we know in our community, especially in, in cities, the role both of those places play. Right, because then right. we, we get into food deserts. But I ended up um, going the avenue with barbershops and beauty salons. Um, and so I went around to about five or so different shops and salons in Lancaster. Mm-hmm. I went to uh, Beauty by Beautylin. I went to I went to Mr. Vic's Family Styling. Okay. I went to Jared. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Pooh, Pooh, Jared. Oh, Pooh, Pooh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I went to um, I made a stop through uh, to Champs Barber School where I met Chuck Dixon and okay. I was able to learn about his family. And how his family came from like five, four or five generations of barbers. Yeah, because his son is a barber. Yeah, his yeah. his son, his brother, his mom, sister. Man. Yeah, um, and then I also went to Sister's Hair Salon. Oh, okay, um, yeah. And I was able to also interview um, Lisa, um, Lacey Ladishaw from Barber Lives Matter BLM Hair Studio. Mm. So. I went into those spaces. I interviewed all of them. I also interviewed some of the people that frequented and, you know, got their hair done or haircut mm-hmm. from these spaces. And I asked them how they were impacted by not having access to this, these spaces. Yeah. Because the, the overall project was how the shutdown of barbershops and beauty salons in black and brown communities impacted their mental health and well-being. Mm. So we were able to talk about 
What was life like not being able to come here? What was life like losing your livelihood? You know, I mean, it. There, the thing with this project, I didn't realize, like, there were so many ways I could go. Yeah. So, you know, when we talk about the mental health aspect, that's a whole nother realm. Yeah. When we talk about the closure of some spaces, that's a whole nother realm. Like, right. I learned, for example, out of all the shops that I had been to, only there were only a couple of them that actually owned their actual spaces. Oh, wow. So then when we talk about, well, why isn't there ownership of these spaces. That part. That goes into a whole nother conversation. Right. So, and I had people wanting to really go in. I'm like, yes, yes. But we got let we, we gotta we gotta stay here. Reel because it in. Yeah. We gotta reel it in because <laughs> you know, it, it opens such a, a big a big can of yeah. can um to really explore. But um I really wanted people to be able to access it from various points. So while I was on the college campus um, and once you go to the space, you'll be able to see, like, I was able to interview students. Mm-hmm. So there's all these different points of how students were impacted from the shutdown, how the barbers were, and just just community, community members in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people lost their sense of self yeah. from some of my discoveries. They came to a place of self-acceptance, mm. um, self-rejection. Um, was ha- it w- w- needed to face a lot of things that they were avoiding facing, which I think a lot of people can relate to mm-hmm. um, during that time with the pandemic. And even barbers being told, hey, what you do is not essential when, um, you know, Chuck had a- expressed so many times, like barbering used to be this, you know, it, it used to be looked at, at as this very like high esteem profession, whereas now like it's, you know, it's it's not. Yeah. And that's not always how it was. Right. But they really are like they were treated like way back when, like just as important as like doctors. You know, you're mm-hmm. still performing these. Um, you're, you're working with chemicals. You're working with people. Yeah. Um, so I learned a lot. Yeah, that is that <clears throat> that is so true. Like um, going going to the barbershop, that was like going to your therapist or going to your pastor mm-hmm. or or going going uh, somewhere of of reverence. You know, if you didn't drink but still wanted to have that uh, community feel, you would go to the barbershops and the barber, you know, shout out to uh, Champ Hall, like the barber was was that was that all all in, encompassing being and um and I have my own uh uh thoughts about um how how the degradation of the barber mm-hmm. happened uh, because I look at it uh from from my city standpoint and and see what happened in Lancaster you know um how how that degraded was you you had people join the profession that really you know, uh, didn't gravitate fully to the profession. It was more of a hustle for them mm. than an actual profession. Yeah, it's uh, a craft. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm glad you used that word because in videography, you know, um, everybody's a videographer. You, you, you know, um, everybody got a bowl. Everybody has a cousin. You, you know, oh, you charging this much? Well, I, I can get so and so that'll charge 150 uh, and can do the same thing. So. As a business, how do you navigate uh, through through that negative? Um, it's not really feedback, but just that negativity. How do you navigate through that negativity? As far as like everybody um, trying to. As far as um, getting getting a new client, um, let's say that uh, this person wants you to come on to do a wedding, um, and you give them a quote, and they're like, "Well." 
uh, that seems a little high. <laughs> yeah. You know, I can have my cousin do it mm-hmm. for X amount of dollars. So as a business owner, especially in videography, how do you navigate through that? Well, you know, when you think of even in the last three years, especially with the pandemic, people needed to be able to create for themselves, Mm. whether that was because they couldn't interact with other people or they wanted to start a podcast or however it may be and um, really learning kind of how to do for themselves Mm -hmm. and or valuing what videographers and storytellers had to offer once they realized I could do this, but because I value quality, right. I'm going, and this isn't my specialty or my lane. I'm going to find someone that right is Give their it to lane. An expert. Yes. So, um, but we've definitely run into run into that of hey, well, yeah, I can I can get my cousin to do this. Mm-hmm. Okay, then it's just gonna look like your cousin did, <laughs> <laughs> which you know that's fine because yeah. for some people it's like look, I don't need the, all the bells and whistles. I don't mm-hmm. need this. I need something very simple. So really, to each his own. But I just like to say when people work with us um, that it's not just the final product. It's really the process. It's the mm. process you go through um, because because I've seen so many stories be mistreated and mishandled. Yeah. And because I've come from that world where it's it's very transactional, it's very um, boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. Uh I try to do my best for that not to be in in what 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 we what we do. So, you know, we like to say we we treat people's story with care, with delicacy, and you know, we we try to get it right. We try to honor them, mm-hmm. you know, the honor honor the stories that really do come our way. But it's 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 the process. So with us, you go through this questionnaire where you're able to fill out, hey, this is this is what I'm looking for. This is a story I want to tell. Mm-hmm. We at sometimes are like. We ask you questions like, how do you want people to feel when they're watching this? Mm. What are the three things you want people to learn? Yeah. Um, is this for, you know, promotional? Are you trying to pre- preserve a legacy? Like different things like that. Because mm-hmm. each story is so unique. So we handle each story that we get very uniquely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That that makes sense. Um, we have about uh, five minutes here left. Uh, so I want to uh, focus on... Uh, the present and what you all have coming up. Um, so, uh, can you uh, tell us briefly about uh, the Susquehanna Art Museum and then what you all have uh, coming up in the future? Uh, because I believe the exhibit is going to be up until February, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so the exhibit is going to be up till February twenty fifth, and in that time, you know, uh, you'll you'll be able to go to the museum to see it. They offer, I believe, I, I'm not sure of the rates. I can't tell you the rates right off hand, but definitely visit the Susquehanna Art Museum to see um, what some of the cost is to get, to get in. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I know on 3rd and the Berg it's free, but I'm very grateful and happy that Essentials has the opportunity to be in Harrisburg. It's in another city. Yeah. And um, so many people will be able to, my hope is that people will be able to see themselves reflected in this experience in some way. Mm. and Or if it's even, you know, you you can't you can like you know I can't relate if you can't relate but you want to experience a different culture or a different piece of a culture that is being preserved I highly suggest people to go see it mm. um, and one of one of the big things and the vision for essentials is I, I really want it to become a book oh um, okay I really would love for it to become a book 
a kitchen, uh, I always say kitchen table, <laughs> a coffee table book um, in the academic study. And I would love for it to also become a um, a tool for emerging artists who are mm. who are navigating different residencies uh, and being able to partner with the institution to make to make this academic study. Because I learned throughout this process process that what I'm doing is actually anthropology. Which I oh, did, wow. I didn't know, but it, I'm collecting stories. I'm collecting mm. um, statistics. I have an entire, you know, I hired a researcher to do all this research. Um, so that's like the future for what I really want this uh, to kind of move into. Oh right. Um, but yeah, definitely. You know, when you go into the space, you'll be able to experience. It, it's it gives a shop vibe. There's mm. a there's a blow dryer in there. There's a bookshelf where you can actually interact with books there you can pick them up you can read them i definitely got a couple copies of essence in there <laughs> got a couple old magazines classics um, and some local publications as well so i wanted people to um see their community also reflected mm. um in this space and even though some of the barbers you may not know or recognize um you do you do um to an extent mm-hmm. um and you see a little bit of yourself in there so i really just um you know, I want it to continue to travel. I want people to continue to engage engage with it and to understand the importance of this history being preserved. And and, and this exhibit um, really utilizes, like, all, all senses, smell, mm-hmm. touch, hear, you know. I don't think taste. I, I don't. I, 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 nah. <laughs> I don't think taste. Um, uh, but but like um, um, with the buzzing of the clippers and even the smell of the hair salon and you know the smell of the barbershop, was all of that intentional? It was very intentional. I wanted to, I wanted to engage all different senses for people to experience the art, mm. um, not just as oh I'm going to come and and see what's here but I want I'm going to experience it I wanted it to be experienced for people so when you go in you're going to hear buzzing and clipping mm. and you'll hear spray sounds you'll hear some shop talk um when you sit under the dryer that is there you'll be able to actually hear the conversation the recorded conversations I've had with the wow. stylist and some students and some clients um firsthand and I really want I don't want people to just go sit and see like to just see it. I really, you know, take take time because mm-hmm. there's so many things we don't take time for. Yes. And if you're going to experience something, you can't do that with just a glance. Um, so I have there's a lot of different ways for you to engage with the with the exhibit. Mm. Yeah. So, um, uh, Shelby, I want to thank you for joining us on the Melanin Report. I mean, this has been spectacular. I hope you, the listener, uh, will go out and and check out the shop presents essentials in our vault gallery, uh, which is currently at the Susquehanna Art Museum. So what's next for you and we and co? What's next for us? Well, we j- we actually just Jordan and I just finished working on this project called the Gratitude Project, mm. and it is a permanent exhibition actually up right now at um, the new uh, Penn State Health Center. Oh wow! Um, in Lancaster, and it it is is the story of it follows the stories of the different healthcare workers, mm-hmm. and we got to interview them, ask them, hey. How did you what things were you grateful for? How did you navigate the pandemic? Mm. Um, And so people were able to bring in and get photographed with their loved ones, with their dogs, with tennis rackets, with ice skates. They say, hey, like I I used ice skating as a way to stay sane during the pandemic while working in healthcare. Mm. We got to interview, um, you know, emergency workers, people who were in the front in the front lines, um, really 
um, saving lives. So as a way to like honor them in their stories, um, they had come came to us to do this uh, project. So mm-hmm. that was something we were really grateful for. So now moving ahead in the future, we're working on something called um, that deals with compassion. Mm. So when we think about gratitude and we think about compassion, you know, we really getting down to the core basics of um, that really bring us all together. Yeah. And, you know, we just want to continue to focus on preserving people's li- preserving history through people's stories. Um, so whether that's through the legacy of a business or family member, we you know we want to just continue to do that and continue to to grow. And um, as we do that, we want people to come along on the journey with us. And yeah. All right. That is dope. That is dope. So um, so finally, to wrap up here, uh, if if you can give advice uh, to that person that is on the fence, um, to that person that's like, should I, shouldn't I um, get into this entrepreneurial life? Um, what would you say to them? Just. Hmm. One. OK, there's a quote from a poet. Her name's uh, Andrea Gibson. Mm-hmm. She has a line um, in this poem called Dive, I believe, and she says, tell your sons and daughters there are sharks in the water, but the only way to survive is to breathe deep and dive. Mm. And if everything was laid out in front of you of the things you were going to be experiencing throughout this journey, you're you're not going to do it. You're not going to mm. take you're not going to take the dive. Right. You're not going to. No one's going to willingly, I'm going to sign up for all this tribulation and <laughs> adversity. Like, no one's going to say yes to that. Right. And when I, I think, especially it being three years post me leaving my entire my career, I spent seven, almost seven years yeah. working up um, in broadcast news to, to leave. And for a while, I'm like, dang, I spent all those years doing that. But I'm like, no, that was just laying the groundwork. Mm. I, th- there was lessons I needed to learn there. Um, and now I just I'm going to walk into this next. But don't wait for people to give you the OK. Yeah. There, There's no roadmap to this. Mm. And it, it very much is you just need to trust your the vision and you have to trust and believe that what I have to offer is is needed. And mm. if no one else is do it, what ha- what 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 happens? And to and the biggest thing is, you know, for for I and I have to say this because I have Jordan. I'm a husband. Mm-hmm. We we are in a partnership in life and marriage and in business. Yeah. And he is such a constant. Has been so supportive and encouraging. And when when we decided to, because we both made that, we had to both make the decision mm-hmm. and and the sacrifice. And I have to tell people while yes, I did quit my job to do this. Jordan was still working. Mm-hmm. You know, I did. There was still that stability there at the time. Yeah. You know, thankfully now, like we're both able to do this full time, and mm-hmm. it's not easy. It's not easy. We, I mean, you know, because you know, bills are still keep coming. <laughs> you know, it's 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 hard. It is hard out here for a pimp. Okay? <laughs> it is hard. But it's like I would not. I would rather work hard yeah. for this vision and for this than anyone else. Because I can't. You can't have me. I, don't, I ain't clocking in and over. <laughs> Dig it. I mean, you can you can hire me as a consultant. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or something. But um, having people around you that support and love you, and ha- and having someone that can walk with you through the journey is mm. is. I mean, it's just even better but i definitely say to just take that dive and um just you have to believe with all your heart with all your heart because you're gonna want to quit i want mm. we've wanted to quit so many times or there's been times like oh we might need to go you know figure some stuff out yeah. but it's like no we we, we can't 
there's too much, too many people have been rooting for us, mm. believing in us. There's too many roads that have led us to this moment yeah. to turn back. So, you know, trust the process, trust God, trust your vision, and just you have to just believe that it's going to work out. And one thing my, my uh, father in love said, he was like, I mean, if it don't work out, y'all talented, y'all can get another job. That's always going to be there. <laughs> but the opportunity right now, yeah. you there, whenever you are lean, whenever you feel that nudge, like I got to do it, you, you got to do it. Because sometimes mm-hmm. that when that window closes or that door closes, you might, you don't want to have to wait to spin a block. Mm-hmm. You don't want to wait another 10 years. You, and it just takes courage. Right. So be courageous oh shelby you really spoke to my soul right there uh i know that there's there's a few things that i'm going to be uh, tackling this afternoon uh, <laughs> uh because of those nuggets of knowledge uh so that concludes part two of our series this week with our newsmaker shelby elaine i want to thank shelby for joining us on the melanin report thank you yeah no problem no problem so the conversation continues on friday with part three of this week's series. And as you know, we have our monologue where we pop the top off of important topics and subjects. And you know how I like to do, I like to bring the experts in to speak with me. So make sure you download part three of this podcast series this week. So in the words of the great Barry Gordy, Don't judge yourself by others' standards. Have your own. And don't get caught up in the trap of changing yourself to fit the world. The world has to change to fit you. And if you stick to your principles, values, and morals long enough, it will. I am Marquise Lupton. This is The Melanin Report. Trust your dopeness. And we'll see you on the other side.
Come on, get this shit. It's that homegrown. I'm buying well, I got clientele. They on high as hell, and I'm moving weight on a higher scale. I got higher scales, no plastic bags. My packages leave tire trails. I'm getting wired mail. I ain't one of them niggas in and out of jail. Just tryna live richer than Lionel. I'm sly as hell, so I'm putting my money in the side of Dell. I can guide it well, and a nigga really coming up now, cause fire cells got everybody floating on the clouds now. I pilot well, you might as well be quite available. I am telling you, I'm prepared for you. I got medical, I got residue, I got edibles. Are you ready to try it now? Try it now. Sorry, you gonna try it. Yeah, man, some good shit. You gon' want this shit, it's that homegrown loud. Try the shit on out, it's that homegrown loud. You gon' want this shit, it's that homegrown loud. Please don't waste my time, it's that homegrown loud. Try this shit on now, it's that homegrown loud. You gon' want this shit, it's that homegrown loud. Come on, get this shit, it's that homegrown loud. Oh shit, damn, I was supposed to come in right there, wasn't I? Oh shit, yo, my bad. Yo, I'm so faded, I don't even remember this last verse, yo. I am as hot as the furnace inside of your household in Denver You turn it on in November, it will let you through the winter Hot as the dinner on top of your stove when grandmama's letting it simmer I'm not a beginner, I'm not a pretender, they call me a sinner But I've been a winner since day one Shit, you ain't even got ass, you already know where I came from Looking at it, shit is like phase one I know everybody take L's, but I bought me a bow So I ain't gotta take none I know everybody take L's, but I bought me a bow, so I ain't gotta take none. Bow, nigga. Nah, I don't get down with those Dutchers, nigga. I'm trying to keep you my lips. You want this shit? It's that homegrown loud. Try the shit on now. It's that homegrown loud. You gon' want this shit? It's that homegrown loud. Please don't waste my time. It's that homegrown loud. Try this shit on now. It's that homegrown loud. You gon' want this shit, it's that homegrown loud Come on, get this shit, it's that homegrown loud Come stop killing each other, man, let's just smoke a blunt You know what I'm saying? Let's smoke a blunt What's the meaning of life? Smoke weed, get bitches I've been doing it all wrong Now, why are your eyes like that? You smoking? No, it's got weed in my Something, smoking something, smoking weed Nigga, nigga, it's nothing. This shit right here, nigga. This shit right here, nigga. Right.